Church, my name's Nick Crawford. For those of you that know me, you call me Nick. This morning, I'm Nicholas Crawford. The real Nick Crawford sitting right over there. That's my dad. And I'm so thankful that he and several family members could come and share this marvelous opportunity um, that I've been entrusted with to share God's word with you guys for the very first time. Uh, even um, my son's namesake, Big Coy, is here. He made the trip down from the Delta in the rain, church. I'm thankful for him. I love each and every one of them. They mean a lot to me, and uh, they're making this opportunity all the more special. Church, this is the fourth and final installment of the Labeled series. We've been talking a lot about how God gives you titles and names that are different from those that the world gives you. Thus far, we've said that in Christ, you are an ambassador, you're an alien, you're a priest. And we'll pick up the fourth one today in Colossians 1. We're going to call you a saint. And we can go ahead and put up the passage, Colossians 1. Uh, before we get there, I'm going to give you a little roadmap. I'm going to set it up by way of some background. Then I'm going to give you a few points. And then I'm going to invite you into a very special and different time of response. It's going to be an act of celebration and declaration where we claim God's labels and lay down the ones that we have been given by others. So hang on to those labels. And if you, if you were able to, if you trickled in a little late, we have some extra labels around. Um, Jeff, where we got those? Here. We got them here. Right up here. Okay, good deal. Again, it's different. Bear with us. But we have labels, name tags that I want you to hang on to because they're going to uh, be the key to a very special moment at the end of the service. The background. Paul is the author of Colossians, and he's writing to the church at Colossae. But despite what its name might suggest, Colossae was not a very colossal place. In fact, very little is known about this place apart from Paul's letter. But even though that the place was fairly insignificant, a movement started there that still exists today. And that movement is just as dangerous now as it was then. Scholars say that the movement was a couple of things. In part, it was, a lo it was derived from a local cult and pagan ritualistic practice where the people would call upon the name of angels to intercede to the Father for them to protect them from evil spirits. This is the church, y'all. This is going on in the church. So in the process of calling on names before God's name, they devalued the name above all names, okay? The second part that this movement was, was it, it got its roots as an early form of Gnosticism, which derives its name from the Greek word gnosis. It's where we get our word knowledge from. These Gnostics pr prided themselves on what they knew, and these know-it-alls used their knowledge to create a class system. It was an us versus them system. They preached the message that true happiness could only be found through knowledge of the deepest mysteries of the universe. You see, to be in this club, to be in this mystical club, you had to know what they knew. But the problem with that system, like any man-made system, is that the answers lied with the people who made them up. In this case, man. So these guys, they claimed to know different mysteries than the rest of us, and in the process, they elevated themselves to the exclusion of the rest of the people. And that's the message 
that was threatening the church as these men hoarded the answers. So it's into this tumultuous and chaotic scene of man-made mysteries that Paul writes his letter to the church at Colossae. And he did so to expose those teachings as false and to bring the people back to an understanding that the greatest mystery in the universe has in fact already been solved. Let's go to Colossians 1. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Paul has been talking about his ministry, and he says in verse 25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his church. There it is. That's the label of the day. Revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great privilege to stand here and share your word. Father, I pray that my words would be your words and that you would use them to penetrate the hearts of your church. Lord, I pray for an awakening in this place that we would join together as we rid ourselves of the labels that have defined us for so long and take up the title that you've so richly given to us. Today, Lord, we're your saints. May we feel that deep within our souls. And may any who don't know your name hear your call and come to the throne of grace. Amen. Are you a saint? I'm not talking about the oversized men in tights who play ball down in the Superdome. And I'm not talking about the names of men whom so many buildings are named for around these parts. Think of the question, are you a saint? Because the answer speaks directly to the condition of your heart. Are you a saint? Are you a child of God? That mystery has plagued us for far too long. You see, we've listened to what others tell us. We've, we've, we've listened to things like this. You're not good enough. You don't do enough. You're unworthy. You're this. You're that. You don't know God. You can't know God because you're not of this certain mold. Church, lies, all lies. Now, I want you to do something with me. If you got a label, take it out. I got mine. If there's a pen near you, take it out too. Go ahead, pop your pen. And I want you to think about the label that's hung you up. What is it that you've called yourself? What is it that others have called you that has burdened you for so long? I want you to write it down. I'm going to write one down. Join me. There. Hang on to that. I'll give you another second or two to write it. Now go ahead, take the sticker off and just pin it right here to your shirt. Go ahead, stick it there. Now, we're going to come back to that later on in the service, okay? Today, church, the label that you're wearing on your chest, we're going to dispel that, and we're going to unveil 
what's underneath. All right? It's going to be really, really special. But hang with me for a little while. I'm going to talk about God's mystery. The mystery that Paul writes about to the church at Colossae is God's mystery. And I want to give you three things about it, okay? God's great mystery is for you. His mystery is in you, and his mystery is meant to be shared. Let's go. Verse 26. Here we go. God's mystery is for you. Look at it. The mystery. There it is. Hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Two words I want you to focus on. If you got a Bible or if you want to take a mental note, circle these two words. Circle mystery and circle saints. I don't care if it's your Bible or not. Somebody else will read it. Maybe they'll get something out of it. Circle mystery and circle saints. Mystery. The word Paul uses for mystery there is a very particular word. It's mystery. It's very particular, especially in the context in which he uses it here. Again, it's mysterion. Okay? You see, Paul's audience in Colossae would have taken that term to mean this precise thing. They would have taken it to known a secret known only by divine revelation. Okay? In other words, the secret to the universe that Paul writes about is not man-made. So men cannot hoard the answer. The answer is available only by God's grace. And this verse is telling us that the answer is revealed to people that he calls saints. So what's a saint? The word that Paul uses there is another specific term. It's hagios. Literally means a holy or most holy thing. The word describes something separate and distinct from what is common and profane, and that separation represents God's character because he alone is holy. But the process by which one becomes holy changed from the Old Testament to the New. No longer is holiness reserved for the priests or derived from ritual sacrifices. No longer does holiness belong to things, places, or sacred rites. Now it belongs to the people and church. The sainthood, I'm telling you, from the Word is no longer some sort of holier-than-thou group of people. We have all fallen short. Rather, the sainthood is made up of regular people like you and me who call upon the name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Church, let me tell you, the word is used in that very context about 45 times throughout the New Testament. And perhaps my favorite usage of the term saint when it means them, those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's this. It's found in 2 Thessalonians 1.10 where the, the term saint is used to describe them that believe in Christ. It's not some holier-than-thou society. A saint is simply anyone that believes Jesus Christ is their Savior. Is that you today? Are you a saint? Unsolved Mysteries. Anybody remember that show? Where's my 80s crowd? Who remembers Unsolved Mystery? We got some. We got some millennials back there probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And if I've lost you, I'm sorry. I hope you get the point. But that show was always eerie, and it, it, it weirded me out, but for some reason I always kept watching the show. You see, the, the format of the show was to leave you hanging. There was nothing ever resolved, hence the name Unsolved Mystery. 
So you were left wondering if the, the serial killer you were actually watching on TV was watching you right outside your window, watching him kill people on TV. The show was unnerving, and, and it, frankly, it gave me nightmares. And I, I got to the point where I'd have to make up my own endings just so that I could go to bed. I'd think to myself, I'd be like, okay, yeah, the cops got the killer a couple blocks down the road. That ghost in the window, it was really just the drapes that were blown up by a floor vent when the AC kicked on. I would, I would think of these things so that I could go to bed. And, you know, when I wrote my own ending, the mystery was no longer mystifying. I knew the rest of the story. The mystery was resolved for me, and I could rest easy. That is the comfort we have in Christ. God's great mystery has been revealed to his saints, and if you know him, you know the answer to the mystery. We know the rest of the story because we know Christ. We know how he defeated the grave and how sin is crushed, how the gates of hell cannot prevail. We know the story. We know that death has no sting, and we can rest easy because God gave us the answer. Are you a saint? What if you knew Christ to be your personal Savior? Would it change anything for you? Would it change how you viewed other saints? Maybe the saint sitting right next to you, the person you share a bed with. Would it change how you viewed other people? Maybe someone who might not know him. Now, you know the riches of his glory, but would you share that news? Would it change how you viewed yourself? Look at this. A quick survey of the word saint gives us a few extra God-given labels. Romans 1.7 and 1 Corinthians 1.2 tell us that a saint is called. Romans 8.33 and Colossians 3.12 tell us that a saint is chosen. And Colossians 1.12 tells us that a saint is qualified. So what happens in your heart when you wear the labels that are given to you by others? I don't even have to wonder, church, because I know what happens in my heart. When I listen to the names that other people call me, when I dwell on what I've called myself in the past, my heart aches. And the more it aches, the more I buy in and believe those lies. That's not you, church, because that's not who he says you are. You are God's most holy thing. You are called, you are chosen, and you are qualified. You are his saint. No matter where you are, where you've been, or what you've done, God's great mystery is for you. The mystery was once hidden, but now it's revealed. It's revealed to you. It's available to you. God gave his children the answer. And the answer brings me to the next point. Verse 27, God's mystery is in you. Look, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, there's a difference between Paul's message and the false one preached at Colossae. They built their mystery on little tidbits of understanding. But Paul comes on the scene and he says, the mystery is not some thing to be understood, but rather some one to be known. And he's been revealed. Note the actor in the passage. It's God God is doing the revealing here. Again, nobody in the world can hoard this message from you because nobody can really answer but God. No person, no establishment, 
No group, no one can prevent you from coming to him in faith. It's Christ in you. A couple weeks back, I got the chance to go to a conference. It was cool. It was a guy's trip. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was one of the guys. It was a fun trip. We had a great time, shared laughs, shared life on the way. And when we got to the place that we were going, we got to walk around town. We got to learn a little bit about each other. It was fun. But when we woke up the next morning, I realized something else, something different. You see, I didn't know really where I was going. I just knew it was some conference. It was called Catalyst. Apparently, Catalyst is a big deal. You see, it's attended from people all around the country, and this one was attended by as many as 12,000 people. And as, I, as we drove up in our minivan, they got live music playing. I'm, I'm greeted by a man on stilts, and I even saw Lady Liberty waving the flag. There was a buzz in the air, and I'm telling you, the buzz had caught my guys because I could sense their excitement as each and every one of them started railing off every character, every speaker that they wanted to listen to, and every musician they wanted to hear. But I didn't know any of those guys. I know a single soul. Never heard any of them. And as I'm listening to all the knowledge that my buddies were dropping, the lingo that they used, realizing that I'm way behind and not fast enough to catch up, I caught myself start hanging some of those labels on myself. I'm starting to think, well, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what they're talking about. Dumb, you know, inadequate, out of place, don't belong, you name it. It was on my mind. And, it's, and I even started questioning as this thing started to spiral out of control in my head. I started questioning myself, what in the heck am I doing at this Christian leadership conference with all these people who look more Christian than I do? I didn't fit in. And right about then, as, I have this, as I'm having this crisis of identity, my, my buddy Topher starts gushing about this character named John Foreman. And, and I'd had enough. I was sick of not knowing what they were talking about. Because uh, I, I didn't know John Foreman either. Didn't have a clue. So I asked the question. And, and y'all know the question. The question is the one that everybody else in the room knows the answer to but you. I asked that question to Topher, and this is why I love Topher Brown, because he had an easy target, and I gave him a softball, man. I mean, I just tossed it up there. He could knock it out of the park. Topher had an audience, too, and he could have cut me down at the knees, but he didn't. Topher was quite gracious to me, and he whispered softly so as not to embarrass me. He said, Nick, John Foreman, he's the lead singer of Switchfoot. And I'm like, oh. Oh, oh, Switchfoot. You see, even I knew who Switchfoot was. This band is huge. They're one of the few bands that actually transcended from the Christian radio scene to the rest of the radio scene. This, this band is big time. And in that moment, even though Topher was really nice to me, the message was, was starkly clear to me. I felt like the kid in the sandlot, y'all know that movie, when he asked who the great Bambino was. See, Topher said he's just John Foreman, but I'm hearing... John Foreman is the Babe Ruth of Christian music. And I didn't know the guy. You see, I knew the band's music, but I didn't know the man who sang it. And that makes a difference. Church, we can get so caught up in the mystery of knowing all the answers that we can miss the man. 
That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying you don't, know, you don't have to know the lingo, the superstars, the key players. You don't even have to be in the club. You just have to know Jesus. You can get the lingo down later. You can learn who the key players are down the road. There's time for all that. You don't have to be an expert to know the man. Do you know him? Are you a saint? If you do know him, then you are a saint. And I want you to pay particular attention to the final point today. Verse 28, let's go there. God's mystery is meant to be shared. Look at verse 28. Focus on all the plural pronouns in this, and I'm going to get grammar school on you right now. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look, both the subject actors and the indirect objects to whom the action is being performed are plural. We, everyone, everyone, we, everyone. Five terms that ooze community. Church, I'm telling you, God's great mystery, the gospel, is about community. Christ is about community. 17 years ago yesterday, the number one football team in the country played a game on the campus of Northwestern University. And guys, you know, if you're a football fan, we may be in the golden age of SEC football, but the 90s belonged to the Big Ten. And if you were a fan of a Big Ten powerhouse, you were somebody. You looked down your nose at everybody, and especially at the little guys. No other conference mattered, nobody, but your team and the Big Ten. And that was especially the case for the fans of the Ohio State Buckeyes of 1998. This team was preseason number one. They were undefeated up to this point, and they were beating everybody like a drum. They had Joe Germain at quarterback, David Boston at wide receiver, and they had the meanest guy on the planet playing middle linebacker for them and Andy Katzenmoyer. This team had All-Americans on the bench. They were loaded. Their fans were all in. And guess what? They were well aware of it. Now, in the stands, there was a father and a son. The son was decked out, man. He had the silver helmet on, the red jersey, and his dad, and he was trying to get his dad's attention the whole game. He's tugging on his shirt. Dad, dad, dad. But his dad was one of those guys that, you know, you know him when you see him. He's, he's a guy that when he's at the game, the guy is at the game. You know what I'm talking about. Headphones on, arms folded. His back never even comes close to the back of his seat because he's on the edge of his seat. And he scoffs at everything. Can't believe it. We let him get a field goal. Can't believe it. We let him get him a first down. You know, he, nothing is ever good enough. He cannot enjoy himself. So every time his kid would kind of tug on his shirt, his dad would swipe him. Focus on the game, son. It's out there. No, focus. But the kid was undeterred. He was determined to involve his father in this father-son experience. And just before halftime, the kid saw his chance. You see, he starts watching the scores update from around the country on the Jumbotron, and, and he saw a game that he felt sure would give him an inroad into his father's attention. It was a game played by two teams both from the state of Ohio. And he says to his dad, he tugs on his dad's shirt, and he finally gets the man's attention. He says, Dad, look, Toledo is beating Akron. Toledo is beating Akron. And he looks up his dad proudly, expecting some form of praise for his astute observation. But that's not what he got. Instead, his dad takes his headphones off for the first time in the whole game, and he looks at his son square in the eyes, and he says, Son, listen to me. 
Listen to me real good, because I'm only going to say this one time. He says to his little boy, he says, there is only one team in the state of Ohio, and you are watching them. It's funny, Ohio State won that game, but his son left defeated. Church, can I just tell you, that's not the voice of the Father. It's not the voice of the Father. Do not buy into the lie that there's only one conference, one team, one group of people that matter. You see, the Toledos and the Akrons, they matter just as much as the Ohio States. The little guys, the outcasts, the guys that don't fit in, that don't measure up and have been told no more times than they can count, they matter because they matter to God. Look, just think about who Jesus hung out with. <laughs> the outcasts, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, the needy, the poor church, that's you. And that's me. And that's not the message that he left us with. He didn't leave. He left us with a message of him, not one of us versus them. The message is not exclusive. It's for everyone. Do you believe that? If you're a saint, do you feel like you can share the message with everyone, to the little guys and to the powerhouses alike? But if you're like me, you, you might can get caught up in what you don't know. And... You don't know the ins and the outs of your faith, so you freeze and you do nothing. And for the very same reason that I was nervous walking to the pulpit this morning, we are nervous sharing our faith because we're afraid to expose ourselves and what we don't know. But can I give you some good news? Can I tell you something that's really cool this morning? The message is a whole lot easier than you think it is. In fact, Paul sums it up in one word right there in verse 28. He says, him. Him we proclaim. That's it, Christ. I'm not discounting the importance of sound doctrine because the more you know about him, the more light bulbs go off and the more you can share with others about him. But what I am saying is this. The message is entirely complete in Christ. And he is in you. If there's anything in the world that you literally know better than everyone else, it's your own story your own personal encounter with Christ, that real thing that happened to you in conversion, you know that better than anybody else in the whole wide world. That's the message. That's Christ. And he dies that you wouldn't have to wear the labels that other people give you anymore. But when you buy into those ungodly labels, you are devaluing his sacrifice. Church, let's stop that. I need to stop that. Share your stories with everyone. Share the fact that you were once called another name, but now you've been given a new name. You are a new creation. You're a child of God. Trust me, church. Your story will intersect with the lives of anybody who's ready to receive Christ. And if he or she is ready to receive the Lord, your story will be the vessel that will take Christ's love to that person. Church, Christ is for you, he is in you, and he is meant to be shared. Let's share our stories as a community of believers. Let's share them in our community groups. Let's share them up in the baptistry. Let's share them in our homes, in the public. Let's be the church, and let's proclaim him. Let's pray. Father, too long we've listened to the names that others have called us. We listened to them for so long that we've even started to believe them ourselves. But you came, you died, you rose again to give us something else, something far greater, 
something inside us that moves us to holiness. You gave us a Savior. Father, help us lay down the names that are not from you and pick up the names that you've so richly given to us. Amen. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking of all the times that you didn't fit in, you didn't belong. You weren't good enough to play on the best team or even play with the big guys. Maybe you're struggling with a crisis of identity. Maybe you're like me and you don't always feel like you're one of the guys. Maybe you've been struggling with this for a long time. Maybe you struggle with keeping up with appearances or meeting impossibly high standards and expectations, and you've grown weary of labels like perfect, overachieving, do-gooder. Or maybe you've been hurt by insensitive and hateful labels like fat, ugly, short, unpopular, weird, average. What about these? Do these hit you? Unworthy, unwanted, unable, unloved. Now I want to invite you into a very special time of response with me. I'd like for you to join me in a special act of celebration and of declaration. And if you need prayer during this time, we got some people up front to pray for you. So let's do this. Come on, with me. Y'all go ahead, look down at your name tags. Look at them. And say, that's not me. Say it with me, church. That's not me. Come. This is a declaration that you are no longer a slave to these false labels. I want you to lay down that label right here at the foot of the altar. Rip it off. Nail it right there. Church, the labels that hang you up, that's not you. That's not you at all. Because that's not who he says you are. Your identity is received. Your identity is in Christ. Church, you are ambassadors. You're aliens. You're priests. You're his saints. Let's claim the identity that he gave us today. Come with me. Let's lay him down at the altar.